Hello and welcome back to The Daily Blend Show with me, Reed Daily. Before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to highlight last week's episode with Brett Ronson of uh, Rant Inc. fame. Um, Really, we talk about how um, he and his business partner, Grant Brown, went from a group of two people uh, to running one of the most successful digital uh, media companies on the planet a few years back, um, kind of the trials and tribulations of going from a team of two to a team of 50, um, raising capital, dealing with uh, investors, changing industry demands and trends, and kind of what his uh, future in a new industry looks like. I highly recommend uh, having a listen. Very, uh, very good stuff. In this episode, we connect with the Atlanta-based duo Neil Cohen and Yanni Reisman and discuss their highly popular brand, Tip Top Proper Cocktails. After years of producing large-scale events and festivals in New York City and around the country, the two lifetime friends discovered something that was missing from all these events and markets. High-quality, classic cocktails that could be enjoyed and convenient for concerts, dinner parties, tailgatings, etc., etc. Enlisting the help of veteran Atlanta mixologist and six times James Beard Award nominee Miles Marquis of Kimball House and Watchman's, they were able to develop their recipes for Manhattans, Negronis, and Old Fashions and are selling them in 100 ml cans. After more than two years of recipe developing, Tip Top Proper Cocktails officially launched in Georgia in September of 2019, and I've got to say they are damn delicious. During the episode, we discuss what led them to want to create great cocktails in a can, the process they went through in crafting these delicious cocktails, and the road that lies ahead of them as they look to expand beyond Georgia to the rest of the country and beyond. As always, you can get this podcast and this episode. As always, you can get this episode and all other previous episodes on such great podcast platforms as Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio, Overcast, Mixcloud, and of course, dailyblend.com. So with all that said, enjoy the episode. So uh, COVID times, where are you guys both calling from? Like, where are you guys based? Um, we're, uh, we're out of Atlanta. Um, I have for, I, I'm, I'm lucky to have a, a family lake house that's shared amongst many families. And we've been going through a rotation where different families get a week up here. So, uh, my week was up, uh, this week. So, um, I'm at Lake Lanier. And I am, oh, nice. uh, cool. Is there, what was that? Is there full water in the lake? Is there full water in the lake? I know for many years there was not enough water going around. Yeah, there's been some droughts over the years. Um, right now it is it is full. Yeah. Nice. Yanni, are you in Atlanta as well? Yep, I'm in Atlanta at my home, um, in my home office, my um, with my four nice. kids and my wife and dog. Um, two of my kids just finished their uh, Zoom school for the year. Um, so that's, that's where I am. So what do they, they print off a certificate and say, good luck for the next four months or three months. 
No, we did a uh, drive-through graduation where we drove through the school parking lot and all the teachers were out there and clapping and saying, have a good summer and all that fun stuff. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Something different. Yeah. It was uh, a good solution for a, a weird time. Huh. Interesting. So, and then where's, uh, for you guys, where's like HQ? Is it in Atlanta proper in the surrounding area? Um, for a while we were, yeah, in Atlanta, um, we've kind of worked out of a few different, um, you know, kind of we work type of situations, but, um, now, uh, up and up until, uh, the current situation, uh, there's a club called switch yards, which is like a, you know, glorified coffee shop. Essentially you pay a $50 membership, you get free coffee and a space to go to where you don't have to justify your existence by buying a scone every hour. Um, you know, and, and it's a place where you can take meetings and, there's a really nice community communal aspect to it too. Lots of speakers and programming. Um, but that's, uh, all on hold indefinitely. <laughs> yeah. So basically the, uh, what you'd like for, uh, was it octagon coffee on the, uh, the West side. I always went in there and thought Octane, the yeah. same thing, right? Yeah. No, okay, thanks. Yeah, I forgot the name. That was like my go-to spot. But after you, I was there for like an hour, I felt like I needed to get out just because people give you the desk there. Right. So, yeah. Huh, interesting. So maybe let's just start with, uh, you know, how did you guys, what's the relationship between you guys? How did you guys form your company? Yeah, sure. <clears throat> so we are longtime friends. We went to grade school together. Um. And, you know, we both sort of had parallel paths in the live music industry. I started a music festival in New York um, in 2011 and, you know, sold it to Live Nation in 2016. Um, Started thinking about what was next and sort of from that experience of in those type of situations, you know, how do you serve a high quality cocktail efficiently? Um, That's sort of where the idea, you know, spawned from. And... While, you know, especially now, those type of events aren't happening, um, we've found a good success in off-premise, you know, liquor stores in in Georgia. Yeah. Yeah, and I think... I've got to ask, what what was the company with Live Nation? I'm just curious. Yeah, it was uh, it was the Governor's Ball Music Festival. Uh, it was actually it's supposed to be happening this weekend. Ah, so I uh, I write for DJ Times Magazine, uh, and I have for years. They were kind enough to let me be an intern like 25 years ago, um, and I've stayed friends with them. So I know very much about your event. So, oh, very cool. Cool. And I was working for um, for Superfly uh, kind of concurrently. You, know, you mentioned parallel paths. I mean, kind of where the seed was planted is all throughout high school. We were rabid, you know, concert goers, going to the Variety Playhouse, going to the Tabernacle. You know, that was our, our calling um, throughout all of high school, culminated with the first Bonnaroo Music Festival happening about a, a couple weeks after our graduation from high school. All of us packed in our respective vans and went up there and uh, probably had a crew 30, 40 deep. And, um, you know, it was 
one of those times where you're going off to college, what are you going to study? What are you going to be in life? And we looked around and said, you know, this is, this is what we want to do. Um, I went into radio and kind of took a little bit of a like journalistic bent towards being involved in music, um, covering festivals and things like that. Um, which wove its way in when Yoni was doing some internship work at Superfly, um, the company that started Bonnaroo. Um, we were going down to Jazz Fest in New Orleans and and doing load in and load out and ticketing and hospitality um, for a lot of, of like late night events at Jazz Fest. And that's how I found my way into working with, for Superfly. It's how Yoni ended up you know, spinning off and starting Governor's Ball with a former Superfly employee. Um, and uh, so I spent seven years at Superfly um, in brand marketing for Bonnaroo, Outside Lands, um, Clusterfest, which was a Comedy Central festival, and um, actually got to do a, a cocktail and magic tour called Cocktail Magic. Um, <laughs> clever name, uh, but where uh, where I got to learn a, a good bit about some of the major players in the cocktail scene and start to dip my toe in, into that world as well. Um, yeah, so as Yoni was kind of deciding that the next calling was to find a cocktail solution in the in the event space, um, you know, that's that's where our paths finally converged professionally. Oh, nice. Cool. And so was it when, when you guys were kind of coming up with the idea, was it you saw a void in the marketplace or was it, you know, you saw a, another company doing it and just not doing it effectively? Like, what, how did you guys kind of come to the fact of this is this is the right move to make? Yeah, um, it wasn't so much a void in the marketplace. I mean, honestly, the idea came first and then we sort of did some research um, and, you know, discovered there are a few people doing, you know, prepared cocktails. Um, many of them are not great. And very few of them were sort of in the low ball, non-carbonated, non-juice, high proof category. So um, that's, that's sort of where we landed. And um, yeah, you know, you know, we set out to create a, a product that was just better than, than anything that's that's out there right now. And and one thing that Yoni was doing and what Superfly was doing as well at its festivals was kegging and batching cocktails and kind of found a solution, uh, you know, short-term solution for short events, right? But as an ongoing, for a three-day event, that's fine. You don't have to be as worried with consistency and with you know, shrinkage and waste, you know, of products, um, you just want to get through and be as high, you know, high volume and high speed as you can. Um, for a longer term solution, that's kind of where it, it, Yoni started talking to his concessionaires and, and planning for what would really be be the best solution. So you kind of proof of concept almost at an event you were doing basically of like size, which which products would move the best at these events? Yeah, Did you guys use any of that data when you're designing it? Like these drinks align better with these crowds or these geographical areas? Yeah, I mean, to some degree, truthfully, you know, if we would have used the data from festivals, we probably would have made a uh, like vodka soda or vodka lemonade. 
because that's that's what people drink at those type of things. So, you know, and by the way, we we thought about initially starting with a line of highball cocktails that were carbonated and um, lower ABV and contained juice, and thankfully, sort of determined that's um, too competitive of a space and. You know, we like to come at things from, um, you know, a, is it a problem worth solving? And from that angle, there was other people solving that problem. So we we sort of found a new angle and we're quite happy we did. And I think part of that is also the shelf stability factor. Um, you know, going and starting with Old Fashioned Manhattan and Negroni, these are three super classic cocktails all have been around for over a hundred years. So you don't have to do a whole lot of market research to know that people like these flavor profiles. Um, you know, all, all three of those land in the top five cocktails ordered at cocktail bars, you know, year over year. Um, but none of them take juice. And so started thinking about the format of in a can, um, you know, what, what would we want to drink out of a can? You know, it's not necessarily the, the, from concentrate juice type product and we want something that's shelf stable um and doesn't necessarily have to be refrigerated um and yeah it's just that that's kind of where we landed gotcha and then in terms of just saying okay this was this is the direction we want to go i mean how did you guys i mean did you have any knowledge about the canning process getting a manufacturer? I mean, are you guys, did you guys go the route of being completely vertically integrated or looking for partners? Like talk to me a little bit about that process. Yeah, for sure. Uh, there was a significant amount of learning and still is, you know, today. As far as, you know, manufacturing, we decided to outsource that. So we have a co-packer that we use. Um, there was some debate about about what we should do. And I think we landed in the right spot because that is a, a whole nother operational hassle that frankly, we add no value to. We, we don't know how to do that. So I think we made the right decision on that. As far as, you know, formulating the actual recipes, a good friend of Neil and I's growing up was, um, is still uh, David Stein, who uh, started Creature Comforts Brewery in Athens, Georgia. And figured, you know, we'd start with a close friend of ours. And um, he pointed us in the direction of a guy named Miles McQuarrie, who, you know, he's uh, the proprietor of Kimball House in Decatur, um, Atlanta, Georgia, and a James Beard finalist the past three years, I believe. So he, he's quite good at what he does. And we sort of picked his brain um, and he agreed to, you know, be our recipe developer. So as far as that, you know, I'd say one thing that we're really, really good at is knowing what we're not good at and fi finding help. Um, and I think we, we did a good job of that. And what that allows us to do is, you know, we recognize that in large part, uh, any one of you know, any, any liquor supplier, you know, producer, the main thing you're doing is, is creating a brand. And as long as you can make sure that the quality is there, the integrity of the actual liquid is great. Um, the the primary focus needs to be on marketing and sales, truthfully. And 
if we were going to be head down in production day in, day out, dealing with replacing parts on machinery and all the various snafus that can come with that, you know, that's going to take away from the primary focus that's needed in order to get a consumer to actually, you know, take our cocktails on and decided that that's, that's what they bring to every tailgate and that's what they have at every one of their parties. And that's what they order when they're at a dive bar or, you know, so on and so forth. So that's, I think that's been vital to allow us to focus on that piece. So kind of knowing strengths and weaknesses and kind of letting other folks focus on different parts of the, the sort of supply chain, if you will. Makes sense. Now you guys both, you know, it sounds like event driven backgrounds, marketing backgrounds. I mean, how much of that did you guys have to do AB testing of where to bring your product to? I mean, did you guys go to events first? Did you go to brick and mortar? What was the sort of direction you guys headed there? Um, <laughs> we, uh, so as far as going to, you know, yeah, certainly. I think the whole time we were thinking that this was a product that would be a solution in events. Um, you know, as it turns out, there's a considerable demand for this in people's homes. You know, prior to our product, if you wanted a good quality cocktail, you have to go to a craft cocktail bar and have a mixologist make it for you, or collect all the ingredients, have the know how, and have the time to make it for yourself. Um, one parallel we kind of bring up every once in a while is, uh, you know, the, again, these cocktails are over a hundred years old. Um, you know, it's if like Coca-Cola, you still had to go to the pharmacy and get the soda jerk to like make it for you and that they never decided to bottle it or can it. Uh, this, is a, this is a product that requires careful preparation in order for it to taste great. And there are, you know, tons of, occasions where that's just not feasible. Um, so it, it's expanded well beyond the event space. Um, now, in terms of like brand adoption, you know, one of the, the oldest tricks in the book for this industry is sampling at events. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's one of the Swiss army knife kind of tools that we've had to take out now that we're in times of COVID. Um, you know, it's, it's just not possible. So we do have to get more inventive and creative about uh, the the language that they use in the industry that always makes me uncomfortable to say out loud is liquid to lips, but uh, you know that's really the that's really it. I've heard it's, this it's, expression. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but it's trial, right? And 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 people, yeah. the stigma that's attached to our category is a strong one, and we have to fight it. And the only way to truly fight it is certainly by branding being sharp and distinguishable. Um, you look at it and you say there's been care that's gone into this brand. Therefore, probably the liquid has that same level of care. Um, and that's all kind of subconscious, you know, read by the consumer momentary. Um, but then after that, the product itself has to back it up. So, yeah, without that tool in our in our toolbox, it's, it's definitely it makes it tricky right now. But luckily, the format, we're a small can and we sit on the counter at, at retail. So when a consumer is going to purchase, it's an impulse buy. They're already buying their, you know, their bottle of, of bourbon. They they're going to check out. They see this little old fashioned. It's under five dollars to try it, a single one. 
they're going to try it. And what we've seen is someone tries one that, you know, the, the initial. I lost the audio on you, Neil. Yeah, I did as well. I wasn't sure if that was just on me. Now, now I hear you, but without my pods. You're back now. Gotcha. Yeah. So did you guys find, have you found that, you know, you're, you're more successful with, you know, the sort of traditional liquor store model or going into non liquor stores where you're, you're not necessarily like an add on, but you're a, a complimentary product. Eh, that's probably not the right analogy, but liquor stores versus traditional just retail. Yeah, I would say, you know, going into it, the, the whole impetus of this was to solve the problem for like fast paced, high volume, you know, events, stuff like that. And that was what we initially thought. And despite, you know, everyone telling us, nope, off premise is going to be about 80% of your sales. We, we still thought that we um, shortly after that realized they were right. And, um, it's good to listen to the experts and, you know, thankfully they were right because, you know, especially now um, music venues and stuff like that are, are not quite occupied. So, you know, we're, we're 80% plus in off-premise. Uh, I will say as some laws have opened up for on-premise restaurants to do spirits to go in certain parts of town, uh, we've actually picked up quite a few, new accounts, um, because it is really quite a good solution for them. You know, um, it, it's, it's a nice additional margin item they can offer to people who want to pick up food to go and no work for them to do it. So, right. Yeah. And as, as Are you guys hearing from politicians that those laws will change or stay, stay intact, intact after COVID? Uh, we're not hearing from from politicians, I would say, but we are talking to sort of industry experts. And what everybody has been saying is sort of like Pandora's box. Once you open that, it's it's never going to shut. So we yeah. we hope, you know, that will be sort of an additional, you know, source for us of sales. We weren't counting on it. So it's all sort of incremental and nice. Um, I You know, we believe you know, after the COVID situation changes and things get a little bit more back to normal. Um, sorry, my phone's ringing. Um, that, uh, you know, it'll, it'll die down a bit, but, you know, maybe people still will get an old fashioned to go, you know, with, with their to go meal. And I think what it opens up for us too is um, as hotels start to come back, as catering and um, banquet type of business comes back, there's going to be a lot of attention to just material handling and not 
staffing up quite as much and having a prepackaged product that you can hand to a, to a you know to the consumer and have them pour their own drink you know there, there's going to be a lot of appeal there and that's what we're predicting and already we were seeing some really good pickup in the hotel space um, prior to covid yeah. and i think this will probably accelerate that I, you know, I don't have the, the the numbers, obviously, but I've got to imagine sort of your, I'll call it tier tier two, tier three hotels, even motels, right? They don't have to bring on an extra staffer, then it's incremental revenue, right, for them that they don't even have to, you know, limited handling, right? I think of when I go to like the Moxie chain, it's an SBG Marriott, right? They're They're trying to do the hybrid check-in bartender role. I mean, you guys have just solved that problem for them. Huh, interesting. I think you guys are dead on with the uh, prepackaging, you know, less material handling. I, I absolutely think that's going to be a problem. That's interesting. Huh. Now, would you guys, have you guys thought about then expanding your line? Because then you could almost be the bartender in the box. Do you think that will be a driver for you guys? Yeah, definitely. We We have not only thought about expanding our line, we are in the process of it. You know, we realized the the current line we have, old fashioned Manhattan Negroni, those are sort of, you know, more fall, winter, nighttime, indoor type drinks for the most part. Um, and we're looking to sort of round out our line of more daytime, in the sun, you know, poolside, maybe uh, lighter type of drinks. So yeah, we're 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 very much working on that. And while we've kind of tried out some of the carbonated with fruit juice direction, um, we really like the size that we're in, the 100 ml, and the style of sort of classic um, cocktails that tend to be higher proof. Um, still, you know, thinking about not having to have, you know, cold storage or anything like that. Um, so sticking to the format likely, but having some expansion on seasonality and, and, and audience. I don't know about you guys, but a Negroni is good all the time, no matter who you are. We've, we've actually seen not Negroni. Not that old fashioned aren't good. <laughs> we've seen Negroni get a nice kick like coming into the spring summer because it is the most uh pool beach friendly in, in our line you know Man- Manhattan by the pool certainly it's been done but it, you don't see it all the time I, I follow a guy uh Waco on Instagram guy's like just a fiend for it's like every minute I'm like is this coming out of your veins just drinking Negronis Oh, just all day, every day. So, well, it's an that's an interesting thing, right? Negroni's like uh, sort of our our sleeper hit. Um, you know, we look at Negroni as sort of the IPA of ten years ago, where if you know, you know, and you want to convert your friends, <laughs> and it's sort of a like, oh, you've never had a Negroni? Here, you've got to try this. Oh, it's too bitter for you? Yeah, that's what I thought. You know, like, but these are for me. (laughs) There's a little bit of that. And there's like, you know, yeah, people who love Negronis, like truly love them and will try to convert others. Yeah. I also find that, you know, I'm guessing you guys are roughly the same age as me. 
gin wasn't really a thing when I was in my twenties, right? It was, it was a little bit of vodka, but it was mostly whiskeys and bourbons and cheap beer, right? I didn't, I didn't really mess with gin too much. And now as I'm getting older, gin and uh, tequila are much more the flavor profiles I'm going towards and, and the things that I'm willing to experiment, not to say that I don't like bourbons and whiskeys, but they just beat me up so bad. Like I can have one or two. And then the next day I just feel like I was out slugging booze all night. So I think that's just the result of getting older. <laughs> uh, right, right there with you. Um, we were kind of, I, I was a craft beer guy in my twenties. Um, and if I was drinking spirits, it was probably just straight bourbon on the rocks. Um, the idea of a cocktail kind of, you know, felt like it was like a watered down, like, you know, way to, to get to the drinking. Um, but yeah, certainly not the case anymore. I maybe have a beer a week. I mean, it's, it's pretty much all spirits and some exploring some wine now. Yeah. So when you guys um, think about just going to market, right. Did you guys have to deal with any learnings about the sort of three tier system? Was that like a huge hurdle or had kind of your experience in the, you know, music and entertainment industry kind of let you guys know that you got to jump through a lot of hoops? Yeah. Um, I would say our background in the music world did not help with that particular challenge. Um, <laughs> but we, we did enough research to know that there were many hoops to jump through. Um, and even then, um, it was still a struggle jumping through all those hoops. You know, we also were applying for TTB approval. You know, TTB is the, the governing agency um, during the government shutdown. So, you know, that was fun. That wasn't in our plan to just be delayed an extra three months or whatever it was. Um, but, yeah, it, it's a very strict system. And it presents a ton of challenges. You know, every day I think about how much I wish we could set up an e-commerce site and just sell directly to consumers. But uh, every day I also know that we can't do that at all um, and sort of look for, for better solutions to get around that. But uh, yeah, Europe. that's right. Well, uh, I'm, I'm super interested in getting into some international markets for that reason. You know, you can, you can buy spirits on Amazon in um, all of the EU or most of the EU and, you know, in Japan and, and Brazil. And, and that's a pretty interesting concept, you know, especially for a package like ours, which is tiny and super durable um, and, you know, quite timely in, in these times. I also think from a branding standpoint, right, you guys, it's somewhere between American and, and Europe feeling, right, that would resonate with customers both in Europe and APAC would probably find some sort of, you know, slickness about that just being a, a, an import. Um, no, that, that makes total sense. And, and I love I love the concept from a scale standpoint, right? I mean, you'd just find a, a I'm guessing you'd find a manufacturer locally, right? So you wouldn't even have to do an import. Yeah, I mean, we haven't delved too deep. Currently, the thinking is we we keep production where it is. You know, this isn't a 12-ounce can, right? This is a super unique 
can. Um, that's not only unique in size, but it's uh, it's steel instead of aluminum. So there's not a whole lot of machines out there that you know can fill this can. So current thinking is we we would import, but yeah, we'd want to have sort of a light touch, find find partners in those countries that you know could just sort of be a partner of ours and handle everything from there. Gotcha. And as you guys start to think of scale, I mean, like, what do you guys think? I mean, how do you, how do you grow your business in terms of domestically? Like, is it salespeople? Is it marketing? Is it advertising? What do, what do you guys think about in terms of the next year post COVID, I guess? Yeah. I mean, currently we're just in the state of Georgia. So the first step yeah. is to get distribution out into a few more States. Um, and we've, you know, we've got those sort of plans in place and, you know, we're, we're quite excited about getting into other states because Georgia is not the friendliest. Um, you know, we can't even utilize players like Drizzly or, or Mini Bar or Reserve Bar. <clears throat> um, so we're, we're quite excited to get into some other states where we could do that. That's, that's sort of the first step. And then, yeah, as we get into other states, um, we'll have to ha- hire some salespeople to help sort of augment our distributor partners in those states. Um, And yeah, some more marketing efforts as well. But I think one thing that's been really nice about starting in Georgia um, is that we, A, it's our home market personally, and we have a, a great network here to support the launch. But B, you know, going into some of these smaller, maybe more forgiving markets is a really great place to start from as a brand so that we can tighten up our route to market supply chain and all of our marketing materials. So, you know, as we do expand outside of our home market, it's important to take all of those learnings and ensure that we're able to pass them on to salespeople, distributors, the retailers that we're not going to be meeting face to face in those other markets um, so that the whole, all the way down the line, everybody really, there's no chance of mischaracterizing what we are and what we're trying to achieve, what, what's on offer here. So, you know, that's, that's a big focus as we gear up for this next phase. And when you guys think of, when you, when you guys are charting kind of your, your growth roadmap, I mean, and I'm not looking for you guys to sort of tell me the the major buckets, but, you know, do you think about it in buckets or is it more like we've got to get to a a certain spot and then reevaluate in terms of like what our next, you know, two or three steps are? I think what Yoni alluded to in terms of getting uh, opportunities to be in e-commerce like the Drizzly and and a mini bar has been a, a pretty major focus. So it's being able to unlock those things and then do all the, the, you know, the supportive elements to ensure we're successful there. Nice. Do you think others will come up and try to compete with Drizzly or do you think they've got too much market share? I think there probably will. I think there are a few out there. Um, <clears throat> yeah. You know, it's it's hard to get sort of adoption, right? People are already familiar with Drizzly, and once they are, you know, do they need a different solution? Not really. So uh, 
Um, uh, I'd say Drizzly will probably be the leader for a bit, but you know, other people are familiar with Minibar and, and other others others with Reserve Bar. Uh, there's another sort of newcomer. I don't. It's actually probably not that new. It's just new to me. Called GoPuff, which is it, it's a different model, but it's the same sort of you know you order something through an app or on their site and um, gets delivered to you within an hour. Within an hour. So I think that's going to be a big one. Go Puff. Well, and then, you know, in some markets, Amazon is operating in the same way. So, of course, they could just swoop in and, and probably steal the whole the whole market in a lot of respects. Um, just depends on, you know, jumping through the hoops to get into enough states where that's applicable. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um. In terms of just brand recognition, I mean, what are you guys doing around, you know, getting the brand out? I mean, how did you guys come up with the name? And then what are some things that you guys are doing to like get awareness out? Yeah, I'll start. And I know you probably can follow up, but um, we feel like we spent a lot of t- time and effort in advance on the branding piece, right? Um, making sure we sort of set the floor right to make everything easier easier down the line, and yeah, the name is 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 part of that. Um, it, it, tip top is a familiar phrase. It's fun and easy to say. Um, it you know means that it's good. So um, familiarity was, was sort of a big piece with that, right? Like we want people to hear of Tip Top even for the first time and, and be like, have I heard of that before? That sounds familiar. Um, but there was a lot of thought that went into that for sure. Um, yeah, Neil, I don't know if you've got m- more to add on that topic. Um, yeah, I mean, I could probably go on that all day, as you know, Yanni. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I think there's a lot to be said about uh, uh, no amount of pre kind of thinking and work can prepare for when a product is live and the consumer and it takes on a life of its own. And so I think what that requires is a lot of listening, a lot of listening to consumers, a lot of listening to retail and what are they saying and how are we kind of processing that to ensure that, what we're saying as a brand aligns with the way that we're being received. Um, and we can get sharper and more poignant in that, in those points, the more that we listen, the more that we process and the more we filter that into the, the brand. Um, you know, we're really happy with the foundation we have. Um, one of the main things we wanted to do was create a distinction when you're looking across the shelf hey, this thing's different. And as a consumer, I think there are a lot of brands out there that are for the typical canned cocktail consumer. Our consumer is probably more likely someone who does spend a good amount of time in a legitimate cocktail bar getting you know, customized cocktails from a mixologist. But there are enough occasions where they don't have access to that but that that this is this is something they've wanted, but have never found the satisfaction in the category up until now. So a lot of what we're trying to do is show that consumer 
that, hey, you've written off canned cocktails because you know how to make them, you know where to go and get them. Now there's an option that, you know, makes it all the more easy to take one wherever you're going with you. That moves your standard. Yeah, I don't know. That makes sense. So kind of going, if you're, if you're thinking of like a magic quadrant, kind of that upper right of, of consumers that desire high quality, you know, easy to consume the products. When, when you guys have done your sort of listening campaign, did you think, did you guys have a hypothesis of who your customer would be? And then through the listening campaign and exploring, they're like, wow, we were not anticipating this type of customer or this market other than, than what we talked about already. Um, it's a good question. I think we're all, all, always learning. Um, and I wouldn't say that it's like a, you know, a, a funded big market research type campaign. What I'm talking about is when people are posting about us, what they're saying, when we're in the comments, we're seeing, you know, how people are reacting on social media. When we talk to retailers and ask them to give us a sense of who's buying us and in what quantities and for what occasions, you know, we're really learning much more on that kind of grassroots level than we are in, in a formalized kind of market research style. Um, you know, I, I think there are those out there that have similar products that are kind of like people are buying it because it's high proof and it's an easy buzz. And people are saying that's not why they're buying ours. You know, I think there's, you know, a, a lot of opportunity to teach people about craft cocktails via our brand, because if you weren't willing to spend $12 at a cocktail bar to find out if you like Manhattans, now you have an opportunity for under $5 to try a Manhattan that was crafted by a James Beard finalist, you know? Um, and so through that, I think there is a great opportunity for educating that market. However, we've seen the most adoption from those who are already discerning customers and are looking for something kind of good to have it more readily accessible. Yeah. In terms of your, your, I'm just thinking about the, the number of, you know, products you guys brought to market. How long did you guys think about, we wanted three cocktails, two, one, like, what was that process like? Is that just trial and error? No, it was, uh, <clears throat> um, you know, we talked to a few sort of industry experts uh, about, you know, what's the ideal number to, to come out with. And three seemed to be the right number from their perspective. And it was sort of our, our hunch as well. It feels like, um, you know, it's enough to be a line, right. But it's not too much to where, you know, you got to worry about getting the attention from the distributors on, on, on all these different, you know, skews that you have. So it, it just sort of generally felt like the right number. And then I'd say additionally, you know, these are the cocktails we wanted to do. So, you know, I guess that worked out nicely as well. Yeah, there's a bar in uh, in East uh, in the East Village in Manhattan called Amoria Margo, um, where it's like a bitters bar. It's they they serve 
um, you know, all kinds of aperitifs, cinemaros, and um, the guy Seth Teague there is he's got his own podcast, Real Authority. And on the wall there, they have a, a, a little like drawing that's old fashioned Manhattan and, and Negroni. And they're kind of like the trifecta of bitter classic cocktails, bitter stirred classic cocktails. And um, I think in terms of a signifier to that consumer that I'm talking about as to what type of brand we are in this space, the fact that we're starting with the three is is really meaningful Um, because then we can branch out to other cocktails that maybe have been spun off into directions that aren't necessarily approved by that group. But when you go back to the core, it's, it's really classic. And if we present one of those cocktails um, that's sort of been bastardized, but it's coming from the brand that started off with these three, then they're going to be more willing to kind of move with us. Nice. Cool. Well, I, I got to ask you, someone who lives in Illinois, what's, what's my ETA on you guys getting in my state? It's a good question. Um, I mean, the answer is we don't know, just, just to keep it short. But um, <laughs> I, I would say um, Illinois is definitely on our short list, you know, um, Chicago is obviously a massive market. Um, and Illinois has got some little quirks. You know, I don't think we'd be allowed to sell, or I guess I should say Chicago. We, I don't think we're allowed to sell um, singles like we do on the counter um, in the city of Chicago. So we'd have to do like two packs. So there's a couple little quirks in every state and in certain cities as well. But um, Illinois is definitely on the list. You know, it's it's above Idaho. Nice. <laughs> Reed, you know anybody? <laughs> you? Uh, no, I mean, I you know, I was talking. I told you guys, I, I know the guys from uh, Man Cannon. They're, you know, yeah. they're they're trying to get in this market as well. So, well, um, our our understanding about think, Illinois is, you know, if you don't have Vinnies, you you just don't have anything to go on there. So, you know, um. But my wife's from from Chicago. Yoni was born in in the Chicago area, so we do have roots and nice. a desire to be there. And it's a thriving cocktail scene. So, or was I should say? No, and I think you're dead right. Benny's is, you know, I I bring my three year old there on more occasions than I should to go get stuff. They have small carts she can push around and knock into things, and she thinks it's hysterical. Um, so <laughs> I go there quite often. It's right next to. Uh, guitar center which she loves so it's like a one-two punch so well guys thank you both for uh jumping on with me all right so that concludes the uh episode with the the boys from tip top proper cocktails some really cool lessons learned uh it's great to see two guys that have been lifetime friends being able to uh you know develop a company that they're passionate about and excited about and i look forward to seeing how they expand beyond uh, the state of uh, Georgia. And if you're down in Georgia, make sure you go to one of your local liquor stores or wherever alcohol is sold and check them out. Don't forget to like, follow, subscribe, all that good stuff on Daily Blend. And then me at Reed Daily. Um, My name is spelled so weird that uh, I pretty much am Reed Daily everywhere on every platform. Um, With all that said... Uh, Enjoy the rest of your day and hopefully uh, tune in next time.